0: Welcome, everyone, to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and today I have three reviews for you of new release films. If you've been listening a while and you're enjoying the show, we'd encourage you to follow us on our social media channels. You can follow me on Twitter at Aaron L. White. That's A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. That's also where you can find me on Letterboxd, Facebook, and pretty much everywhere on the internet. We'd also love for you to add a five-star review on your podcast app of choice, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever you have the opportunity to rate the show, leave a review. Those really help us out and mean an awful lot. If you're new here, FF Plus is the show that is spoiler-free. Our format is very straightforward. I just talk about what I like and what I didn't, and I'll give you a recommendation. And it's simple, short, and as I said, always spoiler-free. All right, let's get into the movies, shall we? Our first film for this week is Don't Make Me Go from Amazon Studios. It stars John Cho, Mia Isaac, Mitchell Hope, Jermaine Clement, Stefania Lavi-Owen, and Kaya Scodelario. It is directed by Hannah Marks and written by Vera Herbert. What's it about? When single father Max discovers he has a terminal disease, he decides to try and cram all the years of love and support he will miss with his teenage daughter, Wally, into the time he has left with her. With the promise of long-awaited driving lessons, he convinces Wally to accompany him on a road trip from California to New Orleans for his 20th college reunion, where he secretly hopes to reunite her with her mother left them long ago as you can tell from that plot synopsis this is a drama mostly of it's a very character focused piece all about the connections that are going to be made between this father and his teenage daughter I actually found a part of that synopsis funny while reading it just now where he says with the promise of long awaited driving lessons he convinces wally to accompany him on a road trip Last time I checked, when you're a father and your teenage kid says they don't want to do something, you get to tell them that they are going to do it. What it really is referring to is the fact that he convinces her, i.e. he basically bribes her and tells her, like it says, with the promise of long awaited driving lessons, he hasn't given them to her yet. And he's like, well, I'll teach you to drive if you come with me. I I still kind of disagree with the whole mentality there of approaching it. With this lens of, I'm going to give you something in order for you to come with me. I understand, hey, I want my daughter to enjoy herself and be w- wanting to do this thing. But ultimately, if it's something that he thinks is necessary for her, it's something he should do. Anyway, I'm getting off of the topic here and going on a rant. With regards to the film, I actually liked most of the movie, a decent amount here. Max has headaches, the The father. He is getting his head scanned at the beginning of the film. That's when he learns that he has this terminal illness. And, you know, like most dramas, it's pretty by the numbers with regards to him kind of hiding that information. He has a little side piece that he has a relationship with. And they have an acute dynamic. He and Kaya Scodelario, I really like her in general. And I liked her in this movie. She's not in it a lot. And then we have like this side plot of his daughter, Wally, who is kind of concurrently navigating her own little teenage love affair with a boyfriend named Glenn. So it's really simplistic here at the start. And it is just existing to get us onto the road with John Cho and Mia Isaac. Now, of note, this is Mia Isaac's first ever feature film role as an actress. Her second is actually coming next week in a movie that I'll be reviewing called Not Okay. So that's kind of cool that her first ever two film roles are debuting in back-to-back weeks. She is tremendous. I think she is a very, very talented person, and I think that she will be someone we see a lot of in the near future. She held her own against John Cho, who is one of my favorites. I think John Cho can pretty much do no wrong. And so, not necessarily do no wrong in projects he picks, but he as an actor is just always fantastic. And so I love them together. So they set off on this road trip and it does a fun job of showing some of the hijinks that teenagers can kind of get into. It shows some of the struggles that parents can have to connect with their kids. There are some great moments of Mia uh, Wally the character's Wally she's learning more about her father things that she never knew getting to meet his friends and ask questions about him from his childhood etc so there's a lot of good stuff here that happens and really their their chemistry and the moments that they spend together are the highlights for me of this movie and i think that the characters are fairly well developed although they're really not super deep it's he's dealing with this thing that he's is hovering over his head he wants to connect with her he feels bad because she's never met her mom who left them he's never told her why and she's just trying to get through her own teenage drama of a life at the moment that's really what she's hyper focused on because of course that's how it is the movie also has a really good soundtrack that's something that stuck out to me it's got the strokes iggy pop bon jovi and more i enjoyed it quite a bit The ending of the film is where it really sinks it for me. It's a pretty decent movie, and I I still contest that it's mostly worth watching just for the 85% of it up until something happens. So the movie opens with a quote of voiceover saying, you're not going to like the way this story ends, but I think you're going to like this story. And it's funny because that prophecy came true. I did not like the way this story ends. And I did like this story up until how this story ended. But the choice that is made, it just, for me, undercut pretty much everything that had happened. I can understand it in a writer's room. I can understand the direction they went with this film being something where people were like, hey, why don't we try this? But it felt like something out of a YA novel to me. And up until that point, it felt more like more of an adult novel, I guess, is the way I would describe it. So it is such a casually sweet film. It's just like a warm hug and you're going through it and there's some nice tears and you know, smiles and great moments in it, it's solid. But then I ended up leaving it very, very angry. I mean, I was legitimately mad. I was texting people. I immediately texted people that had seen the movie already. and was like, can you believe X, Y, Z happened? And oh my God. And I was getting responses back and we were just like freaking out together. Like I wanted to throw something at the television. That's how mad I was at the ending of this movie. So Take that for what it's worth. I'm probably selling a lot of you on the movie right now. You're like, I gotta find out what he's talking about. That sounds awesome and and intriguing. But you'll see what I mean about how it's kind of going in one direction and kind of leading you in a place that you think it might go and you're okay with emotionally. And then it just, it throws it for a loop. And again, I just don't believe the movie earns the ending that it has. I do not think that it fully sets that up and supports it in a way that makes it honest and emotionally meaningful. One quick last note that I think is very important to mention is that there are a couple of scenes of full frontal male and female nudity in this film. One is brief. One is a little more lengthy. Both are played for comedic purposes, but I don't know why they need to be there. And it's a little annoying. This could have been a family-friendly film really easily. Not sure why this had to happen to make their point, but they used them. And I just want to make sure that those that do not partake in that sort of uh, film style know that that content is there. So my recommendation, the movie will be streaming on Amazon Prime Video on July 15th. And I would say, gosh, I, you know, I want to say it's worth watching, but this is absolutely not one of the best films of the year, and it has this ending that left me upset, and so I think I, I'm i on the fence here. I gotta lean to know that if you're pressed for time and there's so many things out there that are worth watching these days, this is not gonna make a dent for you. It's not memorable to me in a way that I'm gonna be like six months from now going, wow, I remember this great relationship between John Cho and Mia Isaac in this movie. I'm not going to remember it and so while it's a fine watch it is absolutely skippable next up we have the deer king from g kids this is directed by masashi ando and maisayuki miyaji and it is written by taku kishimoto what's it about in the aftermath of a brutal war former soldier van toils in a mine controlled by the ruling empire One day his solitary existence is upended when a pack of wild dogs carrying a deadly and incurable disease attack, leaving only Van and a young girl named Yuna as survivors. Finally free, the pair seek out a simple existence in the countryside, but are pursued by nefarious forces. Intent on protecting Yuna at all costs, Van must uncover the true cause of the plague ravaging the kingdom and its possible cure. Not for anyone that's played A bunch of Final Fantasy games. You'll probably recognize the name Yuna right away. This is actually the only second time I've ever heard that name, and I had a hard time honestly getting past it. I kept thinking about it all the time. I was like just imagining that character, which is very different from the character in The Deer King, but it is what it is. So, anyway, the pros for this primarily, I went into this with high expectations. Okay. This is an anime film. It's one of probably the two biggest anime films of the year or most popular crossover from Western media that will come to the U.S. One of the directors, Masashi Ando, worked on some of the best anime films of all time, including Spirited Away, Paprika, and My Beloved Your Name. So he comes with an incredible wealth of experience and knowledge. And I thought that would translate into an amazing picture. The animation is beautiful, so he definitely is able to get that out of his team. There are many different kind of touches to the animation, I guess I could say. There's a watercolor esque style that is used for nature in the film, like forests and landscape type shots the rest of the animation it's not particularly striking so it's not nearly as kind of soft and gentle as you see in a lot of studio ghibli films it's not bright and striking like you see in a makoto shinkai film but it always is high quality and crisp and there are several kind of just gorgeous dream world-like segments when there there's some supernatural kind of environmental-type powers in play here. And when we are experiencing those, I really like the way that it's animated and shown to us. So I, I kind of like the the difference in animation that we see throughout the film, even though it's not something I would point to as being particularly unique or special in the world of anime. The big thing that I love about this is just that the world itself is fascinating. There are multiple kingdoms. There is political intrigue. There is this plague that is kind of ravaging the kingdom, as it says, and we don't know where it's coming from. It only affects seemingly one faction of people, which is really interesting and creates a lot of drama between them. And also propels the film in a way that you know we know that we need to find a cure for this it's very important and so I liked that and I thought that this had a setup and characters that were ripe for exploration unfortunately I just couldn't get into this in the way that I really wanted to And I'm going to say right off the top here, I think it's a little bit on me and not solely on the film. I was watching it subtitled, which is fine. But because of the depth of the story, this is like in a lot of ways, very reminiscent of Princess Mononoke. And you're going to see that comparison made all the time because of the environmental aspect. And it makes sense. It's fair. In fact, this director was actually responsible for some of the character design in Princess Mononoke. So I'm not really surprised that this is the way that it went. But there's these different political entities and there's so much going on, right? And it's very heavy in the drama. There's only a few action pieces to it. It doesn't have a very propulsive energy. It doesn't have a ton of like built up emotional moments. So I think I needed to see it in my own language, honestly, so that I could follow it better. When I do that, I expect that I'm going to like it a little bit more. I don't think I'll ever love it. It's just not that kind of film for me. It's not one that these are not characters that I felt strongly enough that I would be like, oh, these are memorable and I'm going to be able to rattle them off when somebody asks me for a list of my favorite anime characters. It's not on that level. It's a good movie, I think, and it's probably better for if you are able to take it in and really digest it after more than one viewing. Part of what I don't like about this, there's just, again, there's so much kind of going on in in these words and phrases and different Explanations of who is what. There's some double crossing and some secretive decision making that comes into play. Those things on the surface are all interesting, but trying to source them out and understand them is difficult in a movie where a lot of it is kind of flying over your head. There are some cool scenes here with deer and people riding them, and the way that that plays into the story with wolves and the idea of wolves being bad there is some blood in this that's important to note as well there are limbs that get chopped off things don't happen all the time but they are there yuna is a very young child this character and i really enjoyed the bond that does kind of start to happen between her and van as he essentially becomes like a parent to her over the course of the story however her design sometimes she will eventually have some kind of a power. I don't want to explain in depth what it is. She, My housemate said she looks like an animated female Chucky doll, and that is so on point. It is a little bit scary, to be honest. I also would kind of compare her to like a James Wan horror movie doll. And it's just like, whoa, let go of the power, whatever it is, because it's turning you into a creepy person. But I liked it overall. Again, the ending of this movie, very strange. Ends extremely abruptly. And at first glance, it doesn't seem to offer any kind of full resolution to it. So you have to watch through the credits to get these additional scenes that are illustrating the aftermath and what is happening. It actually works because there is a beautiful mixed Japanese and English pop song called One Reason that plays by an artist named Millette through the end credits while these scenes are going. And I I thought that was excellent. The Deer King will be available for two special screenings, a Fathom fan event on July 13th and 14th. One is subbed, one is dubbed, and then it will be in theaters on July the 15th. I'm recommending it. I say if you are into anime and Studio Ghibli-type films, this is something that is worth your time, but see it in a language that you are very comfortable with because you need to pay attention. It's deeper than your average Studio Ghibli picture, in my opinion. And you're going to get more out of it if you're fully, fully engaged and able to stay with it as it goes. Last but not least, we have Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, from Paramount Pictures and Nickelodeon Movies. It stars Michael Cera, Ricky Gervais, Mel Brooks, George Takai, Isif Mondvi, Gabrielle Iglesias, Juman Hansu, Michelle Yeoh, Kylie Kuioka, Kathy Shim and Samuel L. Jackson. It's directed by Rob Minkoff, Mark Koitzer, and Chris Bailey. It is written by Ed Stone and Nate Hopper, based on Blazing Saddles by Mel Brooks, from Norman Steinberg, Andrew Bergman, Richard Pryor, and Alan Uger, with an original story by Andrew Bergman. What's it about? A down-on-his-luck hound finds himself in a town full of cats who need a hero to defend them from a ruthless villain's evil plot to wipe their village off the map. With help from a reluctant trainer, the underdog must assume the role of fearsome samurai and team up with the felines to save the day. The only problem is they all hate dogs. I was pretty excited for this. When I saw the trailer, I thought, wow, that looks an awful lot like Kung Fu Panda with cats and dogs. This could be awesome. When I saw the actual movie, before I had read that synopsis and and understood what this was based on, I thought. Wow, this is a lot like blazing saddles but with cats and dogs and it was awesome. It's not awesome. I'm sorry to kind of be a little bit over ambitious with my praise there. It's not awesome. But I do think there is a lot to like here. It's very simple and I'm not going to have a ton to say because there's not a lot to really go over, but it's full of western and samurai genre, and cat and dog references. It has lots of gags and puns. There are a bunch of nods to martial arts films, and other movies like Star Wars, and West Side Story, and more. But this is a movie that is extremely disposable, and it has uninspiring, like TV cartoonish animation. It's silly. It's... Very swift, it goes by in a hurry, which I like. It's a fun little adventure that kids are gonna love, and I think that most parents will somewhat enjoy. To say that it has a lot of potty humor (laughs) would be an understatement. It has multiple fart jokes and it has a literal potty built into the (laughs) storyline. I don't know why makes zero sense in context even with all of the other random things that happen in this movie that don't make a ton of sense this part is just absolutely wild the villain is building this gigantic toilet for no i it just again no idea why that would be happening i think again it's just like to make funny poop jokes type kind of concept here i think the story is so surface level and. For kids, that's going to work pretty well because it's not a deep exploration of the themes and relationships that we see in the movie Blazing Saddles, but it definitely it has like those things going on. It replaces the racist themes of that movie with cats and a singular outside dog. It's a cute way to get at this story of someone who is, quote, other being treated differently so we had this villain and he doesn't want that village to exist. In Brazing Saddles, I believe they're trying to put a railroad through the town because it's a Western. It's so reminiscent of that. He wants to get rid of this town because it's preventing him from making his palace expansive and the way that it looks. He wants to become the Shogun. So he wants to succeed the current higher level leader. And in order to do that, he wants to impress him. And he thinks that this town is like an eyesore. So why not just wipe it out? Because those people don't matter. And this is like cat on cat violence. The titular Hank is the only dog really that we see in the entire movie. And he's voiced by Michael Cera. It works. and And I think that it does a good job of getting across its points while very quickly shifting gears and almost always falling back into silly humor and jokes. Now, I love pets. I have three cats and a dog. So I love seeing cats and dogs in action, period. And there is kind of like a baseline level of enjoyment that I'm going to get from that. And so anytime they made jokes about how cats and dogs act, boy, I was all in and couldn't help that at all. The voice acting was solid across the board, but Samuel L. Jackson, he had the most to work with from a character standpoint, I think. He's kind of serving as like a an old samurai who s- becomes a sensei of sorts, a teacher for Michael Sarah's Hank character. And man, I just loved it. He was the MVP for me, hands down. I mentioned the animation; it's very plain. There's nothing dynamic or special about it. And I mentioned the humor; uh, there's just too much dumb humor for this to be elevated above. I did, though, find that my son and I were chuckling. We never really laughed out loud, but we kind of gave it a little <laughs> every once in a while. So that's the kind of humor you should expect, my teenage son, going into this one. And, yeah, I mean, that really is all there is to say about Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, because it's not deep. And it's something that your kids are going to like looking at, and you're probably going to take them to because they're going to have fun with it. And we do that because we love them. This is available in theaters on July 15th. And I recommend it for a Saturday afternoon matinee. Not full price. There you go. How about that? You'll be just fine if you wait till it shows up on a streaming service though. Well, that's it for this week on FF Plus. Hopefully I've provided you with some information that will help in your movie going decision making. If you do see any of the films that I've talked about, please let me know on social media. I love to have conversations about them. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.